Yo, 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 hey, 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 we are back! <laughs> Another episode of Dialogue Heavy and with George Truly, Michael, Anthony McMillan. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Thank you for listening to your boy. So, as you know, we got to be intentional and deliberate with everything we want to happen in this life for ourselves. So I'll tell you this. One, that I want to come on here and express myself by sharing my stories with my friends, family, and fans. And two, you know, garner, set my own table, and uh, garner the attention of the people that can possibly help me share these stories with the world. So, you already know what it is. We are continuing to chapter 9 and 10 tonight of Hindsight. Uh, the recollection story of a gentleman who uh, was thrown out on his ass by his employer and um, left for dead. He had nothing, had no money, had no prospects, and um, he was about to be let go in two weeks. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take this life and finally, after all these years, do something with myself and take my life into my own hands. And he said he was going to rob the motherfuckers that, that fed him. He was going to bite the hand that used to feed him. So in the last couple of chapters, um, we're getting on to, we're getting pretty close to the heist and our main character, Bernard, went, he had to entice Dino into gambling with him. So he went back to the A's, the unlicensed uh, gambling house, and he uh, put some big money down. He had scrounged up all the savings from all his uh, co-workers and he was looking to actually win, but he lost a hand at A's. Um, that we went, you know, uh, into the whole hand and everything within the story. If you want to listen to it, just go back and listen to it over again. But, uh, he lost a hand, but in, in that, you know, he enticed Dino, his whole plan in the first place, enticed Dino to go in on a bet with him. And obviously that will be determined later on how that, uh, how that play was so important. But so he got Dino to bet him a hundred thousand dollars on the Knicks game. And that was in uh, chapter seven. And then in chapter eight, now going on next to the plan, he had to get the master generator key. And the only person that he knew, the way to get to the master generator and the reason why is because that turns off all the electricity in the building that is ran solely on electricity, the Waldorf Estates. And he already, he as being a doorman already had the access codes, but he needed the key to turn off the master generator. And uh, Miss Gailey had that. So we went through that situation where he went upstairs. It was his last day of work. So Miss Gailey was going to give him his farewell gift. And while there, he um, took the master key without being seen. Although Miss Gailey damn near caught him. So that's it. That's all. That's where we're going to continue on at. We're going to be in chapter nine. And I think the guys are about to go ahead and uh, finally do to do. And we're about to see what happens. So without further ado, I bring to you hindsight chapters nine and ten here we go oh and as you know everything on the dialogue heavy podcast has always been written and recited by michael anthony mcmillan thus far so here we go chapter nine it was a rainy friday night and old truman would be the last ever elite doorman employee to work for the waldorf estates the crew and i had our plan down to a t in theory but theory don't mean shit as you know and we'd have to perform with precision the task wouldn't be simple First, we'd have to get on the Wardorf property without being seen, which would only be easy if we were invis- invisible. 
shut off the power to the master generator that was three floors below the lobby, get to Mr. Calhoun's unit, which was six doors above the lobby, find the money in the dark and exit without being heard or seen in under three minutes. And oh, did I neglect to tell you that the warden of the state sat only five blocks away from the closest police station? Yeah, that part. I can remember it like it was last night. Lenny, Federico, and I stood across the street from the back alley of the Wardorf, literally inches away, out of range of the perimeter cameras and waited for the lights to be shut off. We were freezing our asses off, but we were also super amped. I glanced down at the screen of my cell phone and saw something on it that had my stomach in knots, but it was pretty much expected. Unbeknownst to the team, I had a bit more of a reason to be on edge since... Of course, the Knicks lost, and I was now indebted $100,000 to a serial killer who had said he would only call once, but he called five times to leave me my death message. You piece of shit. You stupid black nigga. When I find you, you're dead. Click. Well, I thought, there ain't no turning back now. Here we fucking go. At exactly 2.45 a.m., LaRatia, who had been hiding in the basement trash chute since her shift ended almost six hours prior, had the key to the master generator. And if she managed to survive the rain of debris and plastic bags of dog shit from residents throwing their undesirables, she would power down the Waldorf and our personal bank vault would be unlocked. Us boys watched our synchronized watches as the seconds counted down. Five, four, three, two, one. And when the 244 turned to 245, we looked up where the Waldorf Estates building stood, decked out with hanging Christmas lights and decorated trees. Now stood the dark silhouette in the night sky. Go! We said, and we were off. Now, I have to say, all of us needed that money in the worst way. But Federico, Jesus, he came off the blocks smoking. All those years of playing soccer and swearing off anything but natural, authentic Cuban food paid off because he disappeared into the darkness of the building like like a Marvel character. He hit the stairs to Mr. Calhoun's unit for the loot. Lenny hung back to run some interference with Truman until Laratia cleared the building. And I went to return the original master key to his rightful place after giving Laratia the duplicate earlier in the day. Now I have to say this. When you're running for your life, you still get tired at least in my case, I reached the third floor of the emergency exit stairwell and had no idea how Federico was going to run six, find the money, and get out of there in time. But I had my own job to complete. So though my legs felt like lead in the darkness on Mrs. Gailey's floor, I thought about the darkness I may see by the hands of Dino if my job wasn't successful. I opened the door to Mrs. Gailey's slow, and Fifi was on me in in a millisecond. She got two loud barks off before she recognized my smell and licked my hand. After a quick pat on her head and a doggy treat I stole from Miss Gailey earlier, I turned off my headlamp and listened for her owner. And lucky for me, silence. The only light in Miss Gailey's Gailey's unit was the faint glow of the far off light poles in Central Park. I made my way down the hall and peered my way around the corner to see Miss Gailey sound asleep. I tiptoed to her bedside and opened the case. It creaked and I winced, but Miss Gailey with the eye mask over her face didn't budge. I tried as best as I could to breathe only when Miss Gailey did and soon 
the key was back inside. I marched my black ass out of that room, out of that unit, and back out the emergen- back out to the emergency stairwell with the quickness, right in time to see Federico's headlamp come right at me. Andale, cabron! He yelled as he whizzed by me. Fuck, he's quick, I thought, as I turned on my headlamp and followed him. Just as Federico and I busted out the back alley and ran back out of camera range, the lights of the Wardorfs lit up like a Christmas tree. Federico was holding the same satchel that I had seen the Mafia goon hold once a month for years, and I just about jumped for joy with the last breath I had left from my sprint. But Federico halted my celebration with a look of fear and yanked me into the darkness of Central Park as the squad cars raced up, raced up the street with the sirens blaring. Federico, slow down! I yelled as we made our way through to the rendezvous, but the guy just wouldn't stop. My heart was already racing from the raid and the stairs, and now I was sprinting across the largest park in North America. I felt like my heart was going to explode. But luckily, as I was about to pass out, Lenny and Laratia met us and saved us on the corner of 55th and Madison, as planned, in Laratia's stepfather's work truck. And we sped off through the night and straight into the next phase of the plan. Now, since I couldn't be seen in or around New York City, I took refuge elsewhere, but I couldn't go home and I definitely couldn't go on vacation. The cops would be looking to arrest me. Mr. Calhoun would be looking to get his money from me. And Dino, well, Dino would be looking to flat out kill me. If there was to be an investigation, I wanted to focus, I wanted the focus to be solely on me. So prior to the boost, I had LaRacia and the guys apply for dormant gigs all around town and also for unemployment the week after. The only person who hadn't done so was, of course, me. Now imagine the poise. Shit, imagine the trust the crew had to have in me. We were co-workers, yes. I was their leader in that situation, sure. But they didn't know if I would take off and leave them high and dry. I had every penny of that money in my possession and they had no way in contacting me once I was gone. Not bad for a crew of cast-off labeled by Master, Mr. Calhoun as the help, huh? But we were far from getting away with the ordeal. The precautions that I took and the seriousness of the situation I told them back in Central Park the night we made the plan was made clear to them shortly after when I read an article in the paper entitled Murder in Brooklyn. Brooklyn resident Bernard Jenkins, 65, who worked as an doorman in the illustrious Waldorf Estates for 25 years was killed last night following an altercation outside a local unlicensed gambling house. Anonymous sources close to the matter say that Mr. Jenkins had ties to the mafia and had problems settling his debts. At the moment, there are no leads in the investigation of the murder and the gentleman had no family in the tri-state area to note. Damn. Hell of an obituary, right? And the picture in the paper that they used of me was an old employee badge pick from Elite the day I was hired. And I always hated it because I was sick as a dog that day. But I was far from 65 then, too, so couldn't be too mad. But what, what, but what I was mad about were the details in the article about how badly beaten up the body was. There was broken bones, lacerations to the face, and multiple stab wounds that I prayed happened after my death. But if I knew Dino like I thought I did, my brother took a beating for me on his way out. And for that, I always have to be grateful for it. Because I want to, Benny, my brother said the, the last night I was in my apartment. I had just told him of what I was doing at the Waldorf and my plans of hiding out until the dust settled before leaving the country. 
Hell no, Lenny. I yelled at my brother when when he suggested sacrificing his life for mine. Benny, he said, he'll never stop. You know that. But if he thinks you're dead, Lenny shrugged his shoulders and looked at me in the eyes. He was serious and it was important to him to have my forgiveness from our past. But how fucked up of a brother would I be if I let him get murdered on my account? Taking a high school crush away from me was one thing, but losing his life for it? Fuck that. My brother and I fought like cats and dogs that night, all night, but he wouldn't budge. And it was his idea to go to a different gambling house, A's biggest competitor, where Dino's people could still find me as a diversion with the first hundred grand from Mr. Calhoun's bag. Federico had dropped it off to him for me with a note that read, forgiven. It would be the last contact I ever had with my brother, but it was also the only thing I can ever give to him in order for him to actually feel like he was resting in peace. Now, the other 400 grand that I gave to Federico was to be left in various hiding places in my apartment, but it would prove to be a dangerous task since Dino was looking for me that night. Luckily for us, Dino found me, or rather my brother first, and by time Dino and his goons beat the information out of my brother of where the rest of my treasure was, Federico was able to sneak out of the back door by the skin of his teeth. Dino and his idiot goons ravaged my place for the rest of my mother's policy money and to this day i can't for the life of me see how he didn't see me setting him up now five hundred thousand dollars is a big score no matter how you cut it a gigantic one actually and no money of that magnitude comes as easily as dino was able to wrangle it away from me but dino the idiot took his score invested it in drugs like he had planned and tried to become the Pablo Escobar of New York. Problem was, Dino was greedy. He never gave his bosses their taste of the boost. And in his line of business, like in all business, there's no taxation without representation. Part two, Dino didn't have the blessing from his family to start an operation to begin with. So imagine what the powers that be at La La Cosa Nostra Incorporated thought when... They're getting heaps of shit from Mr. Calhoun, who pays them millions of dollars for security, gets robbed the night before they were supposed to pick it up from him. Then, second, your most loudest, outlandish, thorn-in-the-side employee all of a sudden has wads of cash to start a trade that you've been telling him not to do. And he doesn't have a viable explanation for where he acquired that cash? Hmm. Well, I don't have to tell you, but Dino's drug pin days were short-lived. The family had had enough of his shit anyway, with the excess of boozing and angry tirades and women. Once they were suspicious of him robbing their big fish to get ahead in a business they frowned upon, it was bye-bye Dino and hello to the next part of the plan. Chapter 10 But Mr. Calhoun was smarter than that. As I found the, as I came to find that Lola Costa Nostra was too. So after a bickering back and forth of who fucked up and who fucked up, in which I hoped they would have just killed each other in the matter, so I can lay on the beach somewhere in solace, Mr. Calhoun gathered all the crumbs together and reassembled the cookie. 
Mr. Calhoun appointed himself chief of security at the Waldorf back in the day for multiple reasons. One was because nobody else on the board wanted the headache with all the homeless residents of Central Park constantly pestering the good people that lived on the property. And two was because he would be the one person who had access to all the many cameras that recorded every move in the joint. So as well as him seeing and deleting the files that held evidence of his money laundering with the mafia, or LaRacia leaving his unit crying with her uniform hanging off of her body, he for sure was able to see me coming out of the conference bathroom seconds after Mr. Ehlers and himself the day he spoke of me getting canned. As I'm also sure, after the robbery, he saw the footage of me taking LaRacia to the master generator and me pacing back and forth from the emergency door ex- the, the emergency exit door, the emergency door exit out to the back alley hours before the shutdown. So it wasn't a mystery to me when I contacted the crew weeks after the incident that they hadn't even been questioned. Mr. Calhoun probably told the police that all was well and no harm was done. Because Mr. Calhoun had bigger fish to fry. The 10 million? Yeah, it was a hit to his pocket. A small headache that he'd rather not have had. But the, the, the gigantic size migraine that I found at the bottom of that satchel, under the money, could very well cause him to lose everything he worked and scammed for his entire life. And boom, yeah, guys. So that's it. That's the chapter nine and ten of hindsight. I keep on writing this stuff in this story, and it keeps on getting deeper and deeper. I keep on thinking I'm going to end it somewhere and stuff like that. I know we're barely getting to the heist now, but I keep on thinking I'm just going to end it right here and right here and right here. But now we got Mr. Calhoun, and we got other shit that Mr. Calhoun needs to worry about, not just getting jacked by ten million. So it seems as though. As, as, as much as we've been having our main character and his crew chase this 10 million, they got it, or at least Bernard has it at the moment. And um, that, it seems like, you know, Mr. Calhoun, there's a reason why they didn't necessarily chase him. Mr. Calhoun got some bigger stuff. And we're going to see what that bigger stuff is later on. So that's it. That's all for this week, man. On um, Dialogue Heavy, I thank you for listening. I hope you liked it. I hope you loved it. And if you didn't, I hope you... Um, uh, listen and appreciated it and uh, learn something from it. So that's it. That's all. Chapter nine and 10 of hindsight. And I will catch you guys later. Thank you for listening. Peace. I'm out of here.